Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Lord, we, we want to be like these Greeks who came and asked to see you. So, Lord, we ask to see you tonight. We ask that you open our eyes to see what you have for us and open our ears to hear what you want to say to us through your word. And, Lord, we pray that we would be children of the light who see, and not only those who see by your light, but those who shed and spread your light in the world. I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good evening. Again, my name is Chris Myers. I'm the associate rector here at St. Bart's. Uh, Dave is gone tonight, um, but he'll be back with us next week. And Dustin Messer is joining me and helping me tonight from All Saints Dallas. And we had Sean Carter leading worship for us tonight. So really glad to have him with us again, um, helping us out. We're still in the season of Lent. And... This Lent, we've been talking about this idea that Jesus goes before us. Lent is a journey into the wilderness. It's when we follow Jesus into the wilderness. And we know that Jesus is the one not only who goes before us in all things, that there's no place that a human can go that Jesus hasn't already been, but because he's already gone there, he's the one who walks beside us in our own experience spiritually, Lent, in our own maybe in our own lives, when we go through the wilderness, we have this hope to draw on that Jesus is the one who goes before us in all things and that he's the one who walks beside us in all things. And we have this beautiful passage from the book of Hebrews, a book which draws together, I think, those two themes, this idea that Jesus goes before us in all things and beside us in all things, beautifully together. Because the book of Hebrews uses the the metaphor or the, the reality of Israel's wilderness wanderings to exhort the people of God and remind them to not lose heart, to keep moving forward, that there's one who is leading them through the wilderness. 
The writer of the Hebrews exhorts them not only to not lose heart and to call upon the Lord, but to respond to the voice of the Lord when he speaks. The constant refrain of the book of Hebrews is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's the same exhortation to us as we sit in the presence of God and hear his words. My prayer for myself and for all of us every time we gather together is that today, if we hear his voice, we would not harden his heart, our hearts, but we would be receptive, that we would say yes, that we would say, here I am, Lord, send me. So today in these verses um, from Hebrews, I think we have one of the great passages in the whole Bible and one of the most extraordinary verses in the whole of scripture, and it's Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, why would I say that's one of the great, truly great, most astonishing, best verses in all of scripture? Well, one reason is because it's so theologically rich, but it's not just theologically rich, it's deeply and personally comforting. So these theological truths about the nature of Christ, his humanity, who he is, draws us to meditate on the mystery of the incarnation. What does it mean that Jesus took on our flesh? What does it mean that Jesus was weak? What does it mean that Jesus was tempted in every way? What does it mean that he was without sin? We're drawn by these verses into one of the great mysteries of our faith, um, something that can never be fathomed, but that can always reward us as we contemplate it. But it's not just theologically rich, it's personally comforting because it reveals to us a savior who is with us and for us, and not only a savior who is with us and for us, but a savior who joins us in our weakness. He was weak in every way that we were weak, he was tempted in every way that we were tempted. That is meant to be of deep comfort to us, and I hope that it is, and if it's not now, that maybe by the end of this sermon, it will be. So with this verse in mind, Hebrews 4.15, I want to organize our time tonight around those three ideas in the, the verses, that he can sympathize with our weaknesses, that he was tempted in every way that we were, and that he was without sin. So to begin with, Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. He's acquainted with our weakness. Now, sympathy may be a word that's kind of lost its luster. Yeah, it's, we're more about empathy. So we've sort of traded in sympathy for empathy. But it's also maybe a sentimental word, but literally what it means, and what it means here, is this idea of suffering with. The word sympathy literally means he suffers with. So we can read this verse to say that Jesus suffers with us in our weakness, because he has those same weaknesses too. Those, what it is to be human is to be needy, to be dependent from the minute that he was conceived in the virgin's womb and he was born, he was a needy creature. And even as adults, we need, we, have, we can't survive on our own. We need each other. There's something about being human that is inherently weak. And Jesus joins him, himself to that weakness. He suffers with us in our weakness. And it makes him a sympathetic high priest, which is what Hebrews says elsewhere. But what this also means is that nothing surprises him. Or to put it a different way, nothing human surprises Jesus. So when we pray, we didn't pray it this week, we don't pray it during Lent, but we normally pray the colic for purity. Lord, almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. God doesn't just know that as a bit of information, but he knows that as a aspect of his experience as the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. 
His hearts are open to us, not just by him knowing it from his omniscience, but him experiencing our weakness, walking among us. When we think theologically, I'm certainly guilty of this. Maybe you're not guilty of this, so maybe this is just for me. We can get swept up into the heady stuff, the cosmic scale of things, and those things are very important. But we can't lose touch with this Jesus who is truly human, who can sympathize with us in our weakness, who suffers with us in our weakness. I might put it this way. We don't worship a beautiful idea. We worship an incarnate Lord, the Word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And in that incarnation, he takes on our humanity, and in that, he takes on our weakness. And this is so important. There's a great maxim of the early church and the early church fathers, which is this, what has not been assumed has not been healed. If Jesus didn't take on an aspect of humanity, he can't heal that aspect of humanity. What has not been assumed has not been healed. The fathers took this maxim and argued for the truly human mind of Jesus, the truly human soul of Jesus, the truly human body of Jesus. And it is of great comfort to us that that is true because there is nothing that is truly human that is foreign to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hebrews 2.17 puts it this way. He had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This is talking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and it's not just a transactional reality. It's a reality by which in taking on our weakness, he grew in mercy and faithfulness to us. The end of this passage in Hebrews says something astonishing about Jesus is that he learned obedience through suffering. We learn through our suffering too. Jesus in his humanity learned something. It's a great mystery. How does the word incarnate, how does the son of God learn obedience through suffering? And yet, here it is before us. So Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness, but he was also tempted in every way that we were. Continuing in this next verse of Hebrews 2, it says, for, he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, that sympathetic nature that he suffers with us, that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. This is hard to believe, but it is crucial. It is crucial that he that when he was tested, he was actually tested. That he wasn't just wearing his Clark Kent suit and it was just Superman under it the whole time, but that he was truly human. We don't have a Superman Christology, even though I love Superman. We believe in the truly human, truly divine, two natures un, unmingled. And that he, as a truly human one, he was tempted. How was he tempted? Well. That's the first Sunday of Lent. He's taken in the wilderness by Satan. And what is he tempted with? Well, he's tempted with appetite. You haven't eaten in 40 days. I bet you're hungry. Have you ever been tempted in your appetites for food, for connection with others? Have you ever been tempted in your appetites? I'm sure you have. We all have. And he was tempted in that way. He was tempted to take the easy way out. He was tempted to trade in his vocation for the kingdoms of the world by bowing down to Satan. He was tempted to take the easy way out. And he was tempted to doubt God. 
He was tempted to doubt his identity as the beloved son. And in our gospel reading, we see that Jesus was tempted to turn away from the cross. John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled. I'm about to go to death. I'm about to die in this horrific way. I'm about to take on myself the sins of the world. I'm about to drink the cup that I don't want to drink. But what does Jesus say? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come. He was tempted to turn away from his vocation. He was tempted to walk away from his identity as the beloved son. He was tempted in his appetites. He was tempted to take the easy way out. We have the same reality in our verses before us tonight. Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Most people think that this is a reference to Jesus' experience in Gethsemane when he asked for the cup to pass from him, when he sweated blood, when he was tempted to take the easy way out. So he's one who suffers with us and he's one who's tempted in every way that we are. He's truly human. There's nothing human that is foreign to Jesus. There's no, nothing human that can surprise him and that's why he can go before us in all things. Not as some weird God-man hybrid, but as a truly human one who is also the divine son of God. And here's the kicker. Even with all of that being true, he was yet without sin. That's the key to everything. We don't just need someone who can suffer with us. As important as that is, we need somebody who can suffer for us. We don't just need someone who, what did I write? It's a surprise. We don't just need somebody who can join us in the mess. We need someone who can lead us out of the mess. We don't just need someone who can endure the test with us. We need somebody who has passed the test. That's the wilderness generation. Israel failed the test in the, in the wilderness. Adam failed the test in the garden. We need a new Adam who passes the test in the garden. We need a new Israel who passes the test in the wilderness, who goes before us in all things and leads us through it. Jesus being without sin means that he always perfectly heard and perfectly obeyed the word of God. It means that all his thoughts, words, and deeds were in perfect accordance with the thoughts, words, and deeds of the Father. It means that he always loved the Lord, his God, his Father, his Abba, with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul, with all his strength. It means that he perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. All those things we prayed at the beginning, all those commandments that we prayed, like, oh, didn't do so great on that one this week. Jesus did them perfectly. He is without sin. And this means that Jesus doesn't just suffer with us, but that he is one that can suffer for us as the perfect lamb of God the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. This reminds me of a story. This is from the show, The West Wing. Putting the politics and the romanticism aside, it's a great show because it's about relationships. It's about high pressure situation of working in the White House and how people relate to each other. And there's a particular scene where Leo McGarry is talking to Josh Lyman, who's in a bit of trouble, and he tells him this story. Here's the story. This guy's walking down a street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along, 
dang it. And the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. We're in the hole. We don't need a prescription flung at us. We don't need a prayer offered up for us. We need somebody to join us and show us the way out. We need a way out. We need a friend who can lead us out. And so our great friend and sympathetic older brother, Jesus, says to us, I've been down here before and I know the way out. He can sympathize with our weakness. He was tempted in every way that we were, yet without sin. And because he's without sin, he can say something even more than the man in the story. He can say, I've been down here before and I am the way out. I'm the one that's gonna lead you out by what I have done. Because we don't just need someone who can show us the way out, we need someone to be the way out for us, to fill in the hole, to wash us clean. We need, in a word, a great high priest. Go back to the beginning of the verse. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What kind of high priest do we have? This kind of high priest that we've been talking about tonight who joins us in the muck and the mire to lead us out of it and yet is himself in this mysterious way untouched by that muck and mire. He is without blemish. He is without sin. This is where all this wonderful theology becomes deeply comforting because we're in the hole and we need to get out of the hole and we need someone to join us in the hole. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says to us after all of this great theology in this one verse. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Why with confidence? Because we know the character of our older brother, Jesus. And I say that in the way that he is joined to the family of humanity by taking on flesh and dwelling among us. He is really our brother. He is really our flesh. He is really of our blood. He is really and truly human and he is really without sin. And so we can have confidence to draw near to him confidence that he is a great high priest who didn't want to die but died anyway. Confidence that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Confidence that he is the one who stands before God on our behalf. And in standing before God on our behalf as priest, he sympathizes with our weakness. Aaron, the great high priest, the book of Exodus, we learn, is given these special clothes and he has this thing he wears on his chest and has all the names of the tribes of Israel on it. So as the great high priest, when he goes in the presence of God, he bears the names of the people of God in the presence of God. We have a great high priest who bears our name before the throne of God, as we sang earlier. We have confidence in the one who has walked the path before us and knows what it's like. We have confidence in the one who is a great older brother 
who shows us what it's like to go through things we haven't gone through before, who's with us, encouraging us in things that we're going through even now. We have confidence in one who is a great high priest and a king at the same time. That's what Melchizedek means. <laughs> the great high priest of Salem who was also the king. So not just one who stands before the presence of God as our priest, but one who sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, and who brings many into the presence of God. And so we sang those truths tonight together. Before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. He stands in the presence of God as our great older brother, as the first fruits, as the seed who went into the ground and died, is brought up out of the ground in resurrection, leading a host of captives into the presence of God. That's why we have confidence to draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need. So that's why I said we don't worship a beautiful idea. We worship an incarnate and living Lord who suffered with us, who suffered for us, who knew our weakness, yet without sin. And so he is the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who can take us into the presence of God. And so we come boldly because our priest king, our Melchizedek, our high priest has suffered with us and for us and sits at the right hand of God. So we come boldly because as John Calvin put it, since he has gone before us, there is no reason for us to faint. We don't have to fear. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. I want to close with this prayer. This is from uh, St. Basil the Great. I'm going to talk about him a little bit later. But I invite you to close your eyes and to hear these words and to think about your own confidence or lack of confidence in our living incarnate Lord, Jesus Christ. Thinking about him who sympathizes with us, who suffers with us, who joins us in the whole who leads us by his blood, his work out of the hole. And listen to these words from this prayer. O Lord, the helper of the helpless, the hope of those who are past hope, the savior of the tempest-tossed, the harbor of the voyagers, the physician of the sick, you know each soul in our prayer, each home in its need, Become to each one of us what we most dearly require, receiving us all into your kingdom, making us children of light, and pour on us your peace and love, O Lord God. Lord, we lift these words to you and we think of our own situation, each of our own souls, each of our own prayers, each of our own homes, each of our own, need, own needs. Help us, Lord, to come boldly to your throne of grace in our time of need to not be embarrassed to say what we need to you because you are acquainted with our weakness. You know what we need, not just as a matter of information, but as a matter of experience. Help us in our weakness, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the great high priest whose name is love. We thank you that you are a sympathetic older brother who walks before us in all things and beside us in all things. Lead us now, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.